Well, I'm a little sad these days. Oh, I'm sad because summer is ending and I love summer. Listen, I know not everybody thinks the same way, but I love summer. I love the heat. I love the sunshine. I love the grilling. I love the fishing. I love the campfires. I love the road trips. I mean, I'm even okay with the summer road construction. I mean, if you've got a good playlist downloaded, what's the hurry? Okay, there's really only one thing that I don't like about summer. The mosquitoes. I'm serious. I loathe them. How can something so small completely ruin a delicious outdoor meal, destroy a pleasant hike, or end a lovely bonfire? Mosquitoes are the worst. Okay, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are all these products and strategies that claim to keep mosquitoes away, right? Maybe you've tried some of these things. Those little curly green picks that you light, supposed to scare off mosquitoes. Citronella candles. Actual citronella plants. We actually have one of those on our back deck. Essential oils, sprays, light-colored clothing. Hey, did you know... There is an even, there's an app you can download on your phone that transmits multiple ultrasonic frequencies that like mosquitoes are supposed to hate. And I have tried most of these techniques. I will tell you, it's been my experience that they don't really work. I found the only surefire method in the fight against the dreaded mosquito is to stay inside. Now, I say all that because it can, it can be a pretty demoralizing thing when something is supposed to work and it does not. When something makes a claim that it can't support, when something writes a check that it can't cash, when something makes promises it doesn't keep. You know, I'm so glad that following Jesus works. Okay, following Jesus actually changes things. In fact, it changes everything, right? Throughout the the gospels, we read these accounts of life change. These people who encountered Jesus authentically gave their hearts to him and were never the same again. A moment with Jesus changed everything. The difference that he made was like tangible, You know, that's why so many early believers in the early church, they hung on to their faith even through like tremendous persecution, even sometimes facing death because they had found something real. In a world of empty promises and claims, they found something that worked, something that made life make sense. And since then, right, history's pages have literally been filled with real people who have encountered the real Jesus and their lives were changed forever. Like maybe your own story of transformation is written in those pages. You encountered Jesus, you gave your heart to him and you were changed forever. You know, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, meaning that the kingdom of God is a place that works. 
It's not a place of just talk without evidence, empty claims, right? Jesus isn't just a, a, a mythical figure. He's a historical person. Jesus didn't metaphorically rise from the dead. He was physically resurrected. Christianity is not just like a philosophy or really even a belief system. It's a rebirth. Okay, it does not deliver empty promises that don't actually translate to real life. Following Jesus is meant to make a radical difference in our lives. So we can make a, a radical difference in the world. C.S. Lewis once said this, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You know, my, my dad always used this old saying, the proof is in the pudding. You've probably heard that, like my dad didn't make that up. The proof is in the pudding meaning the effectiveness or, or the worth of something can only be determined when it's put to the test. If something is actually real, there should be evidence that it's real. There should be proof, like, does this work? And, and that's kind of what the, the book of James is all about. It's a proof is in the pudding kind of, of book, letter, and throughout this letter, James makes these parallels between the things that we believe and the way that we live, right? Like if you believe this about Jesus, then this is how it should work in the real world. It should connect. There shouldn't be a disconnect from what you believe and how you live. Like this following Jesus thing, this should affect the way that you work and the way that you treat people and the way that you view and, and take care of your money, right? You're, you're supposed to show the world what your faith looks like lived out. If you follow Jesus, there should be some proof in the pudding because following Jesus changes everything. But you know, when it comes to faith, I think one of the places we sometimes feel a disconnect is in prayer, right? Sometimes this whole idea of prayer or praying doesn't always feel like a proof in the pudding kind of thing. Sometimes prayer can seem like a complicated thing, right? Like is prayer something that we do before we eat dinner at the family dinner table? Do I only do it in a church? Do I kneel, stand, eyes open, eyes closed? You know, sometimes prayer can, can seem like an intimidating thing, right? Like these people, they're all praying. Do I have to take a turn? <laughs> like, I can't pray like that. They sound so spiritual. I mean, in some ways, prayer seems like such a paradox. It really does. It's so instinctual sometimes. Natural, like it's amazing how naturally people pray out to God and cry out to God when their airplane is going down. Okay, when that metal cylinder that you're in is hurtling towards the ground, suddenly the whole flight just turned into a prayer meeting. Prayer seems really natural at that point. But in other ways, prayer can seem so awkward and, and foreign, like those times when we feel distant from God. 
when we're not sure what to even say, when we've experienced disappointment by prayers that seem to have gone unanswered, when it feels like there's this impenetrable ceiling between our prayers and heaven. You know, I'm so glad that James did not leave out the topic of prayer in this letter. I mean, he waited till the very end, the last part of chapter five. And just like we've been learning all this summer in our MOVE series, James wants to move us in faith and in wisdom and to connect our faith to our lives. And so as we close our series, James teaches us some valuable lessons regarding prayer. How to develop a prayer life that actually works. Okay, let's have a look. Please turn to James chapter five. Today, we're gonna be looking at verses 13 through 19. Okay, James 5, 13 through 19. As we've seen over the summer, James is all about connecting our faith to real life. And in this last section of his letter, James gives a a masterclass on this sometimes confusing, but oh, so important thing called prayer. What What it should look like in the life of a follower of Jesus. And James reveals three powerful truths that we're gonna look at today about prayer. Firstly, Prayer is for every season and circumstance of life. Prayer is for every season and circumstance of life. Look at verse 13. When you are suffering, pray. When you are cheerful, pray. When you are sick, pray. (laughs) And get other people to pray for you, pray. You know, the word for, for suffering here in the original language is a word that communicates all different sorts of trials and afflictions. James is saying, when life is tough, when life is disappointing, when life is confusing and painful, insert any other negative word here, pray. Conversely, the word for cheerful here doesn't just mean like when you're walking down the road, kicking your heels, whistling a happy tune because you're having a great morning. It's a word that communicates the state of the heart that is common in the good seasons of life. James is saying, when you're happy, successful, blessed, winning, insert any other positive word here, pray. James, at what time should I pray? Every time. You know, prayer is crucial in every season of life. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I love that. It resonates with our experience, doesn't it? on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. Well, what does, what does prayer sound like? I mean, sometimes prayer sounds like us on our knees in deep and intimate communion with God. Sometimes prayer sounds like, like a pen scratching paper as we pour out our hopes and our fears 
to God in a, in a journal or a diary. Sometimes prayer sounds like indecipherable groans because life has just dealt us such a devastating blow that we don't even have words to say. Sometimes prayer sounds like warfare as we pray for a change in the, in the spiritual climate. Sometimes prayer sounds like a song of praise to God like we were doing earlier. Sometimes prayer sounds like silence as we just lay prostrate in awe before God, overwhelmed by his, his beauty and his holiness. Sometimes prayer sounds like that. Sometimes prayer sounds like a family expressing gratitude to God before a meal for all the blessings in their lives. Sometimes prayer sounds like somebody lifting up a friend to God over coffee who just shared like all the struggles that are happening in their lives right now. These sacred words mixed with clanging coffee cups and baristas shouting out espresso orders and the, the buzz of conversation in a busy cafe. Sometimes prayer sounds like a child at their bedside asking God to be with grandpa and grandma tonight. And yeah, sometimes prayer just sounds like help <laughs> when suddenly the airplanes in our lives look like they're about to crash on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers. James and Paul are saying that it's not important how you do it, but it's really important that you do do it. Why? Because it's through prayer that we grow in relationship with God. It's through prayer that God brings our lives into alignment with his vision and plans. It's through prayer that we model and become more like Jesus who actually set the example of the importance of prayer for, for our lives. It's through prayer that we actually move those spiritual rocks that we could never move in our own strength, that we experience breakthrough. It's through prayer that we find peace and confidence as we place life's burdens before Jesus. It's through prayer in all season, in all circumstances. Pray. You know, I don't want to gloss over verse 16 that talks about the elders anointing sick people in the church. You know, this is a very powerful and symbolic thing that points back to the Old Testament where anointing someone or something with oil was like a way of setting them apart for God. And by doing this, the elders of the church were consecrating, which means setting apart a sick person into God's special care. You know, it's such an appropriate and powerful practice, and it's actually one that our elders here at Compass participate in regularly. In all seasons, in all circumstances, author and pastor Tim Keller says, prayer is all intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. I like that. There's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And so James says, pray. 
in all seasons and in all circumstances. James understood this. The next thing that James highlights for us in our text is that prayer is for community. Prayers for community. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, there's this individual expression, personal expression of prayer between just like you and God that is important and beautiful. And there is an each other. There is an us expression of prayer that is important and beautiful. James speaks of elders praying for sick people, of friends confessing sins to each other and experiencing deep healing. He paints this beautiful picture of prayer in the context of each other, of us, of community. You know, we live in a culture that places such a high value on novelty, okay, on instant gratification, on entertainment, on shock and awe, like, give us a show. Are you not entertained? Gladiator reference. <laughs> but, you know, I think that kind, of, that kind of attitude and that kind of perspective can cause us to forget that possibly the most powerful spiritual resource we have is the consistent, faithful, predictable prayers of a local church community. Pastor and author Chris Webb, he writes this. He says, it can be hard to notice the incredible strength we draw from the predictable, sometimes unvarying, often low-key prayer and worship we experience Sunday after Sunday. We gather together with people whom we have come to know well, whose lives we share week by week. Together, we bring before God the needs of our families, friends, community, and the world. We return over and over again to the same needs, the same difficulties. But it is here that we really learn the most valuable lesson in prayer. Persistence, sometimes over many years. Honesty, simplicity of words, the long obedience in the same direction. You know, I love in Acts 2.42 where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Okay, that verse might not sound very exciting. You know, we're likely to gloss over it. Just a local church gathering in community to worship and pray together. Probably, you know, it would have happened in a home church, somebody's ordinary home, right? Like it's seven o'clock, time to go to prayer meeting at Larry's. But 
it would be the prayers of this little church gathering once again in Acts 12 when Peter was in prison facing trial and possibly death that would cause chains to literally fall from his wrists and an angel to escort him from jail as soldiers slept. Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was honestly praying to God for him. Don't ever underestimate the potential of a praying church community. You know, this... This resonates so much with me personally. I remember when I first became a follower of Christ in my early 20s, I I started going to church. Actually, this church. Because I figured that's just what you do, right? Oh, I'm I'm a Christian now. I got kind of became a Christian, came to faith outside of the church. But I'm like, yeah, well, I wanna I wanna discover more about God. So I'm gonna start going to church. And so I got connected very early on with like a young adults group that met at, at the church. I did not know a soul, like not a soul. <laughs> but I figured like I'll show up. I'll show up and I'll just see what, what all this is about. Now, if, you're, if you were to have asked me if I'd ever attend a young adults church group, only weeks before this, I would have laughed in your face. I just would have. Yeah, that's, that's not for me, okay? But my, my conversion, it completely transformed me. It was, it was pretty radical. Jesus, like, got a change in my, in my heart and started to change who I was. And so I, I was actually excited to go. I couldn't wait to get there and meet other people my age, who also believed the same things that I did. And I was actually a little nervous. And I remember I walked into the room for the first time and this, this girl saw me come in and she approached me and she introduced herself. And I politely said, nice to meet you. <laughs> My name is, is Jay. And she said, Jay who? I said, oh, my, my last name is Wagstaff, Jay Wagstaff. And she immediately burst into tears. Now, please understand, I'd never, I'd never met this person before. So I kind of picture this. And I was so kind of sh- shocked and concerned over her reaction of bursting into tears. I said, hey, like, what's up? Like, did, I, did I say something wrong? Like, are you, are you okay? And she said, oh, I'm, forgive me, I'm, I'm better than okay. She said, your brother, my brother was already a follower of Christ. He'd moved away, but he used to be a part of this very group. Your brother would always ask us week after week, to pray for his little brother who was lost and so far away from God. And so our little young adults group, mister, we prayed for you for years. And I can't believe you're in this room right now. 
the consistent, predictable, faithful prayers of, of a small local community of believers that I'd never met before, that I didn't even know existed, were critical in changing and, and maybe even saving my life. Please keep praying, church. Keep praying as a, a community of faith. Pray corporately in our services. Pray over coffee with your friends. Pray in that little circle in the living room of wherever your, your, your home group meets. Pray on that Zoom call. Pray by yourself. Oh, but please pray together in community. Prayer works. You know, I just, I just told my, or a, a little prayer story in my own life, but more importantly, James goes on, he's, he starts, starts to tell about the story of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. He's actually referring to the story from 1 Kings in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah had this incredible prayer experience he prayed it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't. <laughs> and then he prayed that it would rain and it did. This was all in an effort to display the power of God to a pagan king and a pagan culture. But the point James is making here is Elijah was a human being, man, just like us. Like he didn't have any special powers, but he had access to the all-powerful God through prayer, and so do we. So do we. And then James makes his final point regarding prayer in verses 19 and 20. Prayers for a lost and broken world. Prayers for a lost and broken world. Man, don't we know that these days? that our world is lost and broken. Check it out. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James writes, save them from death. James is not being dramatic here. This is not hyperbole. <laughs> There is literally a matter of life and death that James is, is writing about in the final two verses of his letter in the, in the context of a section on prayer, Jesus's brother makes a plea for us to help save wandering souls, people living in error, people in deep need of love and truth, people actually heading for spiritual death who need a cure, who need a remedy. And why does James make praying for lost people such a priority? Because God's heart is for lost people. Second Peter 3.9 plainly declares that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 tells us even more about God's heart. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Luke 19.2 tells us this way, the very reason Jesus came for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again to provide a way of salvation for lost people. And you know, people get lost in a variety of ways and in a lot of different places. We can get lost in addictions, lost in unhealthy relationships, lost in vain philosophies. We get lost in self-love and indulgence, lost in pain and abuse. We get lost in sin. And God calls his church, us, to partner with him in his spiritual missing person mission. And yet we act, we show people through our, our, our love and understanding, we speak, we share the good news, we share our stories of what God has done and who he is, but we fervently need to pray that God will go before us. When we pray for the lost, we're saying to God, you go first. Because if you don't go first, all, all of our efforts will be in vain. James says lives are at stake. What a call, what a mission, what a responsibility. Who are you praying for in your life right now that is spiritually lost? Blind, hopeless, helpless, captive, spiritually dead without God. Hey, I hope that you've been encouraged and challenged by the book of James this summer. My encouragement would be, our encouragement as a, as a church would be that we would not just close the page to this amazing letter, but we would make reading it a part of our regular rhythm because it's just, it's just too helpful not to. Come back to James again. A book that moves us from confusion to wisdom moves us from doubt to faith, moves us from belief to action, moves us from prayerlessness to prayer that is for every season of life that works powerfully in the context of community. and that brings lost people home.